Hi, it's Saturday the 16th of June, it's Colin Telford here, uh, myself and John Henderson are about to interview Ian McMillan. Uh, we took the idea from a series that Colin Murray does on 5 Live called At Home. He meets with a number of sports people, either in their house or in his own, uh, and he tends to get really good interviews. Uh, quite nervous, it's a bit of a pilot, if this goes well I'd quite like to do it with other ex-players, um, but we started out with an all-time great, so I really hope we can do it justice. Just a note before you listen to the interview, I'd taken in a professional mobile recorder uh, and used my phone as a backup. Unfortunately, the phone caused a bit of interference on the main recorder, so the quality is not as well light. It sounds like it might have been from uh, the archives from Ian McMillan's playing career, but you can hear all the answers clearly. Hopefully, it doesn't take away from your enjoyment too much. Thank you for, for agreeing to sit down no, with no, us. No, no, no. Yes. Um, when I looked online and was trying to search about you. There aren't too many in-depth interviews, so we were really keen to sit right, that's fine. talk through your football career uh, and just yeah, to record that for, for yourself, for right. us, for anyone that wants to listen. Um, so thank you for coming no, no to that. No um, I'm also joined by John Henderson, which I don't know, John's your unofficial, club, unofficial and unpaid club historian is probably about the, the most accurate title for you. Wouldn't expect to be paid, Colin. <laughs> Um, but you've been a massive help in, in, in researching uh, Ian's career, so thank you for that. And um, we've shared the questions before, but if we run through those uh, and we'll maybe go off on some tangents or whatever. That's all right, no, no doubt. Do that. But yeah, uh, yeah, just do that. Um, so to start off, uh, you, you're inextricably connected with the Adrianians, uh, and I, uh, from doing a bit of research, understand that doesn't just start with, with yourself and the McMillan family and that your father and your uncle were also involved in the club, which is what was their involvement? Uh, well, my uncle was David Frame. He, uh, he was a school teacher, and he was a, a, a director of Pedronian's club. My father, he was down the scale a good bit, he was in the checker. He was in charge of the people that went, went to the turnstiles. He, he was in charge of all that, so that was how my father started there. And uh, that was how my uncle and my father were connected with Airdronians at the beginning. And so was it always something, as long as you can remember, is it something you've been aware of, the, the club being there? Well, I've, all, I've always, because I was born in Adam Avenue, which is just adjacent to Old Broomfield, and uh, uh, it was quite handy for me to go and watch Airdrie because I did, I, the turnstiles were there as well at that side, uh, and there was a was a bridge not there when I was born. Mm -hmm. It was just a railway line below, and eventually the the, the bridge came over, and that brought more of the supporters over to go in the turnstiles at my end. So that was where I, I watched there from the the turnstiles at the east end of uh, uh, the the field. Um, you mentioned David Frame there. Um, he uh, I think he played for Airdrie initially. Didn't make the grade at Broomfield and went elsewhere. So I, he, I really don't know that. Now that that's sure, news to me. Yeah, he, he, I don't know much about uh, Uncle David. He so. was on on Adrie's books. Um, I know he was a back kick, and I think he would kick everything in front of him. I think. <laughs> well, most of them did in those days, as I'm sure you know. Um, but uh, David Freeman, we didn't get to the cup final because he was playing, I think, for Alloa that day. Maybe, was he? Yeah, right. I'm sure he was playing for right. somebody else. Right. Right. Um, but you would have spoken to him later, presumably, and he um, he. He knew a lot of the players. He must have played with some of them in the reserve side and whatnot. Right. Um, and again, in later years, 
Tommy Preston, Bob Benny, Will O'Neill, they were all directors, and I assume you'd have had dealings with those. No, I don't think Will O'Neill was a director. Was, did he not become a director? No, he didn't come okay. a director, no. Um, no. Any stories from these players, or from your dad, just about the 20s in general, the cup final no, no, in particular? No. I, I don't know a thing about it, no. no. But, but, I mean, it's just that I, I started in 48. Uh-huh. So from 23, is it 23? 24, yeah, 24, 24 yeah. to that, there's a big gap. I know. So I didn't hear much about it right. at all. It's only in later years that you hear about it. Yeah. And you, you listen to it. But I never had any really information from anybody in the club about the, the cup final. Right. I'm quite surprised at that, I have to say. You know, I would yeah. have thought it would have been a, a strong topic of conversation. No, it was never <laughs> in our time, no. But oh. I mean, I started in 48. Aye. That was never ever mentioned at all, the, the cup final. You maybe get the odd remark saying about the last, you know, they were in the, the cup final 23-24, but that was all we heard, we didn't hear much about it. And then looking at your uh, development as a footballer, so nowadays everybody talks about player pathways and there's real pressure for clubs to show a route from their youth system into their first team, um, but I think your route was quite different to that. So in your early footballing development, like many in Adrianian, you played in the, the world's oldest school football tournament, the, the School's Cup, uh, and you played for Albert, I understand. Yes. Uh, what were your memories of this, the School's Cup? Well, I mean, that, that's, that's the earliest I go back. Uh, I, I mean, everybody thinks that every... Uh, I didn't get involved. My, my father and my uncle weren't connected. Obviously, I went to the home games mm-hmm. and watched the football then. But that was the only connection I had at that stage with it. And it was only when I started playing for Albert in the Schools Cup. And I had four years with Albert. Uh, and not once did we, we win the final. Must <laughs> mean the only four years when they didn't well, win it. Well, I know. And my brother, <laughs> he, played, he played three years. Uh, he, he, him and I played in my last year. And, uh, and he went on to win two cup finals. So he had two cup final medals, and he used to cast it up to me many <laughs> a day. And so he had two, and I had none. Yeah, you did go in to get some medals, which we'll come yeah, on well, to. That's, so. right. Yeah. Yeah. that's right. Uh, and then from Albert, you moved to, to Airdrie Academy. Airdrie Academy, uh, yes. And there was a bit of a hotbed of footballing talent at the time. Do you remember other players that you, you played with at the academy that went on no, to? to no, nobody, nobody else went on. Nobody else went on. The team I played with at Airdrie Academy. Uh, not one, and uh, I was about the only one in the, the first 11 going from first year through to fifth year uh, that uh, played. So, but was Jimmy Shanks after you? He was after me. Wouldn't have been long was, after you. He was the same as my brother. Right. They were two years behind me. Uh, right. So, we never got in the, the same team at all. So, and we, we didn't do all that well in the, uh, you know, playing in all the, the leagues. Uh-huh. And the cups with the schools maybe travelled about a good bit, but we didn't attain great heights, I'm afraid. So nothing to report on that one. So, so you played for Airdrie Academy. Was there any boys' club football, or was it just the school? no? There were no. There was only there was only the schools' cup. They played at Broomfield, and then you moved from there. Or, or well, you were connected with that at the same time as playing for Airdrie Academy. So that that was a that that was where I learned my basics and things like that. But I did a lot myself uh, with, my mother played tennis at Spring Wells mm-hmm. and she gave me, a, and that was during the war, she gave me her tennis balls. So I played with the tennis balls and we had an air raid shelter 
at the gable of their uh, uh, house. And I used to throw the ball up the gable, and it was a brick shelter, not not an Anderson one for mm-hmm. the curb and that. It was a brick one, and I threw my, the tennis ball up, hit the gable of the house, came down onto the air raid shelter, and I got it and trapped it, and then I shot for the gate, which was at an angle. So that's where I learned all the basics. And I did that an awful lot. Even going down the street in a message, I took a tennis ball with me. So that's how I was able to learn the basics with a tennis ball. And if you could do it with a tennis ball, you could do it with a team ball. And then throughout your... T- so there's no... All your football is either just kind of you playing yourself with those drills yes, with your right. friends that's right. or with the school. Um, did that leave you... Were you able to go and watch Airdrie as a, as a teenager when you were coming through? Or yeah, I watched the home games. watched all the home games, so I was able to go to that. I was able to get in for nine because my father was the, the head <laughs> game. <laughs> So that's what I did, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, you moved on to Drumpelian Amateurs. You didn't go junior at all. Was there a connection with Drumpelian Amateurs? How did you wind up there? Well, generally, most of the, the boys I played at school with were, were playing with them. Quite Three or four of us, and we all played with Drumpelian, Drumpelian Amateurs. And it was, a, that was, a, it was a, the funeral caretakers team. And we played in black jerseys. Because that was Mr. McLaren. Oh, yes. You know, the Cobridge. So we, we played and we had quite a good team. And it wasn't only from their academy, there was boys from all over Lanishar played. It was quite good and it was good. I just quite enjoyed it. And, but I only had a year at that and then I was then called up by Airdrie. And how I started with Airdrie was I was 17 at the time. And again, there was a friendly match down at Gala Shields. Gala Shields. And they invited me to go to that, to play in that. And uh, that's where I signed from uh, from that game. They, they signed me and I was an amateur then. Uh-huh. And then uh, a couple of months on, uh, they wanted me to sign professional. So I did. So that was how my connection with the Airbus started. Good. And it was all through mm-hmm. Gala, Gala Fair Good, Going back to Jim Pell, you said they played in black. Was that a deliberate choice? Uh, no, that was just the McLaren reference. It was, it was just a Mr. Mr. McLaren. He just he produced. Well, it wasn't Mr. McLaren. It was Mrs. McLaren that ran the teams. Oh, right. She was a, she was an instigator of all, and she was very keen on football, and uh, it was because of the black jerseys. <laughs> So long black. before ship sponsorship was about right, the they, team they, playing in all black for the funeral directors. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And of course you had the obvious nickname, The Undertakers. Oh, that's right, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Which must have produced a few laughs. Oh, well, I know that, that's true. Yeah, that's true. A few comments, I would imagine. That's right, that's right. Do you think um, the amateur game was as strong as a junior game then, or would you, would you have benefited perhaps from going to a junior side first? No, I'm quite happy. I went, to the, went through the ranks there of the school and then... Trumpelier amateurs, that was fine for me. Uh, I think I think if you go junior in these days, I think it toughens you up a wee bit. But uh, the skill factor were, were maybe missing in these days, I don't know, but I felt uh, I was quite happy just... Well, I mean, you get the opportunity of going senior before you... I mean, I didn't know I was going to be called to down to uh, the, the borders to play for Airdrie. And I, I didn't know that was going to lead me to... Through, through there, and as well as that, uh, but Joe Kaken played in my position, inside right, uh-huh. and uh, I was down to play that year in the reserves, 
But he had a bad injury at the end of that season and he, he wasn't able to play. So I got into the first team right away then. So I played for a bit more at that position. The um, surfaces you played on, uh, would have been mainly the old sort of ash blaze, I take it, with yeah. the Trimpelia? Oh, aye, it was terrible. So, <laughs> so grass would have been new to you, really? Oh, grass was new, yeah. yes, aye. Luxury. Aye. It was always ash pits you played. You used to come home with them. Your knees all skint and all the rest of it. That <laughs> was a half school. And can you remember uh, joining up with Airdrie, so you joined us in your football team as a young player coming from an amateur? Was that a welcoming environment or was it quite a, a tough environment? No, no, it was very good. Uh, they, were, they were all old players. Uh, Wally Kelly, Wally Cunningham, Johnny Peters, the goalkeeper, what was it? his name again? Moody? No, no, before him. Mitchell Downey? Mitchell Downey, that's it. I knew, I knew you would help me yeah. out here. <laughs> so that was a good team uh, to play in. And outside right was Willie Brown from Edinburgh. He was a good help to me. He liked the ball early. He didn't like the tackles coming in. So as soon as he was in the position, I had to give him the ball early because he didn't like to get the ball and then the backs were on him. So, but he was a good help to me because he was a good player. And he knew to take up good position. And he was always, when I had the ball, when I looked to see where he was, he was always in an open position. So he helped me greatly in my you know, time with safety at the beginning. He was a big, big help to me. Excellent. Good. Coming on to that, so as an inside forward uh, at a time when I was at two, three, five formations and WM formations <laughs> were, were more common. What, so for an initiated like myself, what, what would your role on the pitch be described as? Well, to be truthful, I'm glad I didn't play in the days, present day, because that, to me, I, I wouldn't be able to enjoy that so much, because all I was worried about was a left half. If you know what, there was a goalkeeper, two backs, centre half, two midfield players, five forwards, and all I had to worry about was a left half. And if I get rid of him, I had plenty of room to move, and that suited me fine, because you get rid of him, you had more room to move. Whereas nowadays, everything in the middle of the park is choked. It's like sucky Hall Street. And I wouldn't have enjoyed playing then, to be truthful. They would have nullified me right away. So I'm glad I played when I did play. I got more room to play, and I, I was able to play with the system that was there. Did anybody ever give you any instructions about defensive duties or... Was it simply a case, you get the ball, you feed it to Willie Brown, say? Well, no, I know you to feed it whoever was available. Oh. It's not just Willie Brown. I mean, there's, there's other members of the forward line. Your, you your were, primary aim there would be to get to the winger? Well, that, that was, that, that was you, you've got to get up the wing as well. That, but I mean, because I had plenty of room and I could beat, maybe beat the wing half, I would go forward and I would size it up. you see whether who, who was in the best position out the the other five forwards or four forwards we were up. So you were able then to, to either spread it about or if the left winger was open I would give it there. If, so it, it was all depends who was available at the time. But as I say, it was, I enjoyed playing then because if you could get your wing, beat your wing half, you had plenty of room to manoeuvre. I, I would hate to play nowadays. Wherever the, the, the middle of the part is choked and you can hardly move. Did you have to as a forward but well, as a, as a wing, as, as an inside forward, you had to go back and help yeah. the defence. Because really, you were you were playing. Uh, we we uh, Jimmy Jimmy Welsh 
we were he was another great he was a great NCAA player. He the two of us were we were back a wee bit. You had about three up and two two of us were back and we picked up the balls and then went forward to create the, the spin. They were moving about in open space. The thing is in football, you must have open spaces. You, you, you can't play always watching being with a defender against your back. You've got to move, you've got to move. And this is what's wrong in days today's day. They're not moving enough. They're not moving away from the opposition. Whereas in our day we knew where to move. And they were, were a, were, there was Hugh, you had Willie Brown, myself, Hugh Beard, Jimmy Wells, and I forget who was there. The Cowboy. Cowboy McCulloch eventually. That was a good forward line. We hadn't such a good defence, but we had a good forward line, and that was a good forward line to play in. Um, you played under a few managers, um, probably at the time I think their proper title was Manager of the Secretary. Uh, like of Alex Ritchie, Willie Steele, Willie Fotheringham. Uh, well, Foringham was the only manager out of that. Right. Well, he was a, he was a manager, but the others were manager too. But they were also trainers. That's yeah. That's the kind of differentiation yes, of trying right. to get it. Right. The, the trainer presumably was the man to get you fit. Correct. The manager he had some secretarial duties, but tactics or what, what was his, his well, full that, role? We, we didn't. We, well, it's supposed to be tactics. I mean, that was a way forty eight. We we didn't have any any tactic. It was up to the players to. To do to do the job, uh, and this is what that's, we we that's because when you played yourselves, you had to organize. We had to organize it, the players themselves how to go about, and we had to talk to ourselves to say, look, this you know this fella's a bit weak. We should concentrate on him. At half time when we come in, we could talk about that, and we did it ourselves really. So that was how we worked it. So there would be nothing in training really before no, games. It was to... just all the training was only to get you fit. Yeah. And we, of course at Airdrie, you never get the ball because all Wall Reed was the trainer at that time, and he his delight was his park. It was the best park in Scotland, and we weren't allowed on the field with the ball, and that was the only place we trained was running around the park. And if you stepped on the park, he would shout and ball at you to get off the park. <laughs> So we didn't get any great ball work in these days. So that was a that was a minus. And looking at that, then comparing it to nowadays, um, also in that year, illegal football ballers would often maybe associated with cigarette brands. Uh, there's apocryphal stories of during training at Broomfield, uh, there's no floodlights, and the trainer could spot where the players were with some of the lit cigarette ends. Well, the end of Wally the Kelly was one of the worst. He was one of the, he was a centre half, and he he smoked like a chimney. And, uh, he <laughs> used to go to the toilet before the game and have a wee puff, and it didn't affect. Obviously, then in these days, it didn't affect them. There was only maybe one or two who smoked, but the majority didn't. It was it was a bit of a fallacy that. But Wally Kelly was the, the and he was a good player too, a centre half. Uh, but he was the only one I remember that smoked. All the rest of us, I don't think, we smoked at all. There's now a massive focus on diet, nutrition, players yeah. training with heart rate monitors on. <laughs> like, as your, your time as a footballer, were you ever given any advice on, on these kind of things or did you develop practices yourself that you found just worked for you? Well, we had this to do ourselves, really. There was, there was no instructions from above what to do or that sort of thing or what to eat or anything like that. So individuals had to do it themselves and there were no instructions from above but I suppose these were early days of course in football and they weren't into it the same detail as they are 
you know, a good few years back. So there's more detail now going into it. There's more thought going into it. And obviously the standard of football is better. But as, as I say, the formations don't help good football because all you're getting is all the play in the middle of the park. And football is all about goal-mouth incidents. That's where the excitement is, not, not in the middle of the park. And the, the only way to create the excitement is getting the ball. And in that day, the, the game went from goal-mouth to goal-mouth. That was how it was played. And that's where all the excitement was in the goal-mouth. It wasn't in the middle of the park. Um, moving on to, to 50-51, the year of the, the Great Escape. Uh, the last game against Falkirk. Falkirk. When we... We required a lot of goals and it turned uh, 11-1. I know you'd been out the team a wee bit that season when uh, Jimmy Doherty played, but you were right. in in that game and scored right. four goals, I think. Uh, four, um, well, the Falkirk attitude, they were down, I think, at that stage. I think they were down. I think yeah. they were more or less. Was there any, were there any questions asked about the, the no, result? There were, there were no questions asked, but I mean, we never won 11-1 every week, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So. There'd be questions asked today. Oh, there would be. There would be right enough, I I can't think just come off for us though. Yeah, that's what they thought anyway when we were playing. But uh, we had no, I had no knowledge of any any background or anything like that going on. In fact, that, that was strange to me when people said, you know, you think that was a... You gave them, I said, well, I don't think so. We had to play hard to get the... to, to win the game and win by that number of goals. So but that was it. And then around that time at Airdrie, you were brought into the Scotland setup, but as well as the Scottish First Eleven, uh, you played for a Scotland Eleven against the British Army at St James's Park. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, Newcastle. And the, the, the records are that you put in a, a really strong performance that day. Do you think that that was what led to you going on to get full caps? Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. But the only thing with full caps is, I think I had an inferiority complex when I was playing for Scotland, the, the, Scotland, the big team. I don't think I really played well in internationals. As I sort of fear, I said to me, I was saying to myself, I shouldn't be here because I was part time, they were all full time, mm -hmm. and I had a wee bit of inferiority complex. So, really, all the internationals I played, and I only played maybe one and then a gap appears because I didn't play well in that one. I, I really didn't do justice to when I was playing international because I, I thought I wasn't good enough to be playing there. And that's the wrong attitude to have when you're when you're playing football. You you've got to have confidence in your ability. You really have to have confidence. And I had I had, I had lack of that, and that didn't help me in my international career. Still in Scotland, um, you weren't heavily involved in the build up to the nineteen fifty four World Cup in Switzerland, but um, presumably you were aware. You knew the players and what was going on. There were a lot of criticisms in later years about the SFA's attitude. Only taking thirteen players, one set of strips, etc. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't know so that. So there was nothing said at the time. Nobody felt that was inadequate or unusual. I, I didn't even know about that. I didn't even know there was surprise if it only took thirteen players. For, you know, from reading this year, mm -hmm. and I didn't know anything about that. But I wasn't involved in that. I mean, I wasn't there. So it, 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 that was kind of seen as, as know, standard at the time. Well, that, that was surprising then. I think it was 13 players and two goalkeepers, so it was really no cover. But well, yeah. it right. the tournament. Right. Um, back to Airdrie, the 54-55 season brought a lot of success. Um, Airdrie reached the semi-final of the League and Scottish Cups uh, whilst being in the second flight, but they also won the, the B League at that time. Yes. What do you think made that team so successful? Well, I, I, because, it, because it was so successful, 
you've got to remember it was in a lower league. And obviously the lower league. We, we in my time there, Airdrie always filtered between the top league. We didn't last too long there. Then we were back down again. So obviously that was where the professionals were, the top league, the majority. So it meant that you were, you were against a better quality of footballer than opposed to the second division, where they were mainly all part-time teams. And I think that was a big difference in it. We had a good year that year because we had good players. And if you're good players in a lower league, where the quality is not so good, then you stand out. And I think we maybe got two or three years in the top league and then one or two players maybe had to go to other teams because they always tried, always sold their good players to keep the money going. Mm. And therefore, but as you sold your players, your quality of getting players back in were not as good a quality. Therefore, we suffered and we'd go back into the second division again. But to my mind, this four leagues is absolutely... I can see this now, nobody'll think now, but I think it's a waste of space, four leagues. Two leagues was great because if you were a team at all, you were allowed into the top league. And that was good experience. No matter whether you were only in it for a year or two years, you were back down. But you gained experience from that. And, and it, it helped to, the, the, older, the younger players coming through to say, right, we're going to get, keep going there. And that was a good incentive to, to go. But four leagues, to my mind, it's only to suit the big boys. The Rangers, Celtic, and that's sort of just what you're saying there about us being um, having a few years in the top league and then being relegated. I'd have to say it's a wee bit longer than that most times. Uh, no, but but possibly. I suppose the people who run the game now would say, well, that's the whole idea. You've got the top teams at the top, and uh, kind of yo-yo clubs, if you like, are a grade below. They're probably happy with that. Can't see it changing. Anytime soon, can no, you? No, no, no. I can't see it changing, but I think I, I think it's a detrimental setup. It's only suit the the big boys at the top. That's all. And do you think playing teams in your league four times and then potentially drawing them in cups? Oh, it's ridiculous. That's terrible. I don't agree with that at all. It's. <laughs> I don't. I always think you you should. And it's difficult to get out leagues if you know what I mean as well. That's the other aspect. I mean, there we we were nearly way down into the last league there this year. It was it was only because of a wee bit of luck and a wee bit of help that we stayed in that league. Now, imagine way down there and trying to get out that, and teams are difficult to get out that. It's it's a bottomless pit there. At least this time we've got uh, seem to have got better players now, and we seem to have a better chance uh, of getting promotion in this league. But it's still going to be a hard league getting up into the top league. A long way off at the moment. It's a long way off. Uh, 54-5, um, towards the end, we got to the, as you said, we got to the, the League Cup semi-final early on, got to the Scottish Cup semi-final later on, Celtic at Hamden. We must have been reasonably confident given that we'd been winning games, losing very few. Uh, and scoring in the first minute, that must have been a great help, surely. It was, I, well, it certainly was, but that's where I had my biggest black mark. You're going to bring this up. I know you're going to bring it up. I've only been told about it. <laughs> anyway, we scored first, and that was a good help. One nothing, uh, and then I think they they equalised, and it was that way right to the end. And I'll tell you about my black mark. Hugh, five minutes to go. Hugh Bear got the ball, took it out to the right wing, and he beat the the, the centre half who went with him, crossed the ball, and I came into the 
the penalty box and it landed on my head and I said, well, I saw the back kicks were on the, the goal line and the goalie. I said, well, I saw that. I said, there's no point in hitting it low because it, the goalie or the two backs would get it. I'll need to get it high. But the point was, with my and I wasn't good in the air anyway. I headed it and I tried to get it high, but it just went over the bar. And that was a bad man. That was only about two or three minutes to go. And that, that was and everybody keeps mentioning that. I said, well, you're going to break this up again. That was my biggest error. I, I didn't mention it. No, I know that. That was the biggest error. And, and everybody keeps mentioning that to me. But the, but the team played well that day and deserved a draw. But again, of course, when you come to do replays, the, the bigger team always comes out on top. And so it was. And just looking at that, there was quite a remarkable spell in there in terms of your own career. The Idris Celtic first semi-final was on the 26th of March uh, and these figures are, are just taken from the internet but attendance of just over 80,000. Yeah. You then played uh, in the Home International England against Scotland at Wembley on the 2nd of April mm-hmm. uh, and attendance there 96,847 and then Idris Celtic replay at Hamden uh, 4th of April so only two days later uh, a crowd of 71,000 so in Ten days, you played two games at Hamden and one at Wembley, with a combined attendance of almost a quarter of a million. Yeah. Um, and that's all despite you being a part-time player and being in the second tier at that point. That's it's, right. it's quite amazing. That's right. How did you find the pressure of all of a sudden being in these big stages? Did you enjoy it? Oh, I enjoyed it, yes. But again, I didn't play particularly well in the internationals. But the, the trouble is, though, I had to come back up from Wembley. I had to get a train that night, normally you would stay. Mm-hmm. I had to get a train up because we were we were training on Monday. I think the game was Wednesday, or maybe it was Tuesday. I can't remember whether it was a, a, a Tuesday Monday. or what. Monday. It was a Monday, right? So I had to come back up on the Saturday and, and a special train. Well, not a special train, but get the train back up. All the, all the, the players stayed there, so it was a bit of a rush that. I could have done with two or three days, you know, okay. off the football to in order to come back to the, the replay again at Hamden. Um, 55 at, at Wembley, that game um, 7-2 was a bit of a disaster. It was, yes it was. Um, as things were periodically for Scotland at Wembley yeah, so it seems. Right. But that England team included Duncan Edwards, Stanley Matthews, Don Ravey, Nat Lofthouse. That's one of the good players weren't they? Yeah, <laughs> how did they compare? I mean was 7-2 a fair reflection you think? Well, uh, they were better players than golf. Yeah. Better players. Um, Airdrie back up to the top division obviously after 54-5 and Hugh Baird continued uh, scoring goals at uh, a great rate uh, top scorer in the Division 1 55-6 and 56-7 you've talked about him briefly there moving out to the wing Um, but as a centre forward uh, he was a good player Jimmy Welsh and I were quite glad to have a chat with that knocking the balls in because we weren't good we weren't good at taking opportunities to score because we were inside forwards, you, were, you had to come backwards and forwards, so you're not always up. So you needed somebody there who was really good to put the balls away. And he always took good position. That was one thing about Hubert, and he was good in the air as well. He, he, he was a good player. and uh, So it was good. To, Jimmy and, and I were, were quite happy to have Hubert knocking the, the goals in. So we quite enjoyed playing with him. Did, did you keep in touch with him? He, uh, he went to England, obviously, to Leeds. Aye. Uh, the papers say as a replacement for John Charles at the time, which is a, a tall order. 
Did he speak much about his time at Leeds? No, we didn't see much of him after that. We came to, came to Aberdeen after that, but he was a good player too. We had a, a young player at that team, Doug Bailey as well, who'd been really sought after as a youngster. I think we got him signed basically as soon as he was 17. Um, and he <clears throat> he played for the under Scotland under-23s in their first international in 1955. Uh, Duncan Edwards was against him that day and um, ended up at centre-forward and gave him a wee bit of a roasting. Mm-hmm. But they, they sound like two young players who were similar and that they were both... Quite heavy, well heavy. made, yeah, strong. Heavy. Yeah, um, heavy. You played against Edwards as well. Can you compare the two of them, or would that be unfair? I think, I think it would be. Unfair. Given the yeah, given the standard that Edwards played yeah, at, I think so. But uh, any memories of Edwards? You played against him a few times. Oh, yeah, he was a great player. I mean, it was a tragic loss that he, with a plane crash, he 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 died at it, and so that was a great loss. He was a great player, but he was generally a wing half. He was a very good, very good player, strong. And he came forward a lot and passed a good ball, good in the air, just all good all round, all round. One of the toughest left halves you faced? Well, I played, I didn't play, I was, I was inside right. You've got it in here, I was inside left. I was, that was my error. No, that's okay. I, th- I think you did play in both occasionally, different times, yeah. Occasionally I played inside left, but I was generally inside right. So, Ed, he was another side, so I... I and you didn't go near him? Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness. Um, Dick Bailey, as I say, he had a great reputation. He was much sought after as a schoolboy. Airdrie were lucky enough to get him. Yes. And eventually he moved on to, to Rangers. But not great success there. For any reason for well, that? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, and he was full-time as well. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't... Like myself, I was part-time in there. But he, he, was, he went full-time. And I thought he would have gone to the top because he had all the attributes. But I just don't know what happened in there. I don't know whether it was uh, whether he was told to do things that were maybe different for him to do, because in these days, then further on ahead of me, you were maybe told a wee bit more what to do. But I cannot I cannot play us out if he's been doing so well with Airdrie and doing it his own thing and everything working out for him, and then suddenly he goes to Rangers, a bigger club, somebody telling him different things, which could knock him. Well, you know, all to pot. Um, individual goals. There was a, a goal you scored uh, against St Mirren in a, a cup replay at Paisley in 55-6, which the papers raved about. Uh, goal of the year, etc. Uh, football genius at work. Um, do you remember that one? Yes, very yeah. vividly. One of your best? Oh, yes, I was the best. I, I think there was a bit of three, three, three or four men to get there, I think so. Yeah, it was... Uh, I, if you try that again, it wouldn't happen again. That's what would happen. And that, that would be more your type of goal. I don't imagine you had any thunderbolts from 30 yards. No, 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 no. You're quite right. You're quite right. Yeah. Your goal record in your first spell, Adrian, was about a goal every two games, which is a real high rate of scoring. No, uh, um, that was because you were playing with good players with the forward line. You know, I mean, just, just in myself, I mean, when you... When you score that number of goals and that, it means that the others round about you are playing well. Focusing on you, um, as well as goal scoring, what do you think your main attributes were as a player? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Well, I'll tell you my faults. I couldn't head the ball. I couldn't tackle. Uh, what else was it? Uh, I I couldn't I couldn't uh, I couldn't defend well. So I had all these minuses. So I needed so I needed pluses. 
to agree with that to overstep that. So I could I could trap the ball, I could pass the ball, I could dribble with the ball, and I could size up where everybody was. So that more or less, I wasn't a complete player in other words because I had all these minuses. So that's what helped me as as we more assets with going forward and passing the ball, passing it accurately, and uh, and things like that. So and I was able to take men on as well, which was a big help. And first, that's a high goal scoring record. What what was a typical you meet Melon type of goal? So it wouldn't have been a header from six yards. It wouldn't well, have been a thunderbolt. I only, only scored 30. one header with the Rangers, <laughs> and it just made over the goal line and no more. And that was because Ralph Brand dummied it in front of the goalie. <laughs> so I never, I never did any. No, they, I generally, I generally scored. It was just taking a man on and beat and scoring. You know what I mean? Shooting. You could tell where the goalie was. I said, if I, if I take it, if I take it, go to the left here and take him away out of the road. Go to turn to the right and hit it away to the far corner. I know I should score. Okay. So you'd be placing it away from. I was the placing it away. Uh -huh. Yes, it was more more a direct shot where I wanted it to go. You scored quite a lot of penalties for Airdrie. What was your technique there? <laughs> Just shut my eyes. No, uh, but I missed one. I missed a few as well. But generally speaking, I I just hit it into the corner, uh, and I didn't I didn't vary it, I didn't vary it a great deal. So did you practice it? Not time? really, not really. No, I feel that if you practice away and all the rest of it, it I think it defeats the, the purpose when you go to take it again. Uh, no, I just I just hit it from the corner, and I hit it firmly. I didn't I didn't side foot it. I always feel if a goalkeeper gets down. Mm -hmm. There's a good chance if you side foot it because the, the power is not there. But I, hit, I clipped it uh, fairly hard, knowing that it's going in the corner, and if the goalie doesn't get to it, then it's going in. I know you best from uh, growing up in Flower Hill Church, uh, and throughout your playing days and since, you've always been um, keen to talk about your Christian faith. Do you think that had an impact on your career as a footballer? I, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know because the language at times yeah. was, was pretty grim, mind you. So, and bearing these in facts, I, I don't, I, I didn't, I didn't go there into the as if I was a Bible puncher or anything like that. I went there just because I was a member of the team, and I, I mean, I didn't swear, I didn't do anything like that, I didn't do anything stupid, but I just behaved myself there with the other fellows because I didn't want to think that I was apart from them, if you know what I mean. I wanted to be one of them. And the only way to do that was by, you know, talking away to them and chatting to them, don't ignoring them and being a member of the team because football is all about a team game. It's not individuals, it's a team game. And if you get the, the, the team work coming through, it helps a lot when you go out on the park. And from your initial time at Airdrie, um, are there any key achievements and memories that you're, you're most proud of from that spell in your career? Well, there was that one, that one with the, the St. Run goal, that was, a, that was the one that was, uh, so that, that was the main one as a matter of fact, so the others uh, didn't, well it wasn't as good as that one, I'll put it that way. And then in 1957, Harold Macmillan became Prime Minister of the country, uh, and for your reputation of orchestrating events on the park, uh, you earned the nickname the wee Prime Minister. 
Do you know where that, who first came up with that? I've no idea. Yeah. I, honestly, I've no no earthly idea. It would obviously be a newspaper man, and I've no idea how that came about. Uh, obviously, it was some newspaper man that said, obviously, they associated up two second names together and put two and two together. So, and and stuck. <laughs> that, was, that was me stuck with that, <laughs> and, and it's been on, on the go ever since. <laughs> That's it for part one of this interview, where we've heard Ian McMillan's journey from kicking a tennis ball against a bomb shelter to becoming an Airdrieian stalwart, an international footballer, and being elected to be Prime Minister. Join us in part two when Ian explains why he left Airdrieians. We talk about his time at Rangers before his return to Airdrie as a successful player and manager.